Welcome, welcome, welcome to the Mike the Gardener podcast, sponsored by those lovely people at Natural Grower, who supply plant-based products for both organic and chemical-free gardening and your houseplants. Hello, 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 and welcome back to another episode of the Mike the Gardener gardening podcast. Now, I've been doing the podcast for just over a year now, and I have to say, in that year, I've listened to more gardening podcasts than I've ever done. But for a fact, my go-to gardening podcast has to be the Talking Heads Gardening Podcast with Saul Walker and Lucy Chamberlain. Great gardening content from two modern-day head gardeners. And so today, I'm absolutely delighted to be joined by them both for the podcast. Well, hello to you both and welcome along to the Mike the Gardener podcast. Now, I have to say, first and foremost, I'm a big fan of your podcast, Talking Heads. So I sort of feel legally obliged to talk about the weather. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely. Yep. Yep. So exactly. how was how has the weather been in your neck of the woods today? Go on, Lucy. Oh. Well, it's been a bit, it was a bit of a dank day today. It's been okay. It's just been a little bit misty and a bit dewy and um, a bit, a bit, um, yeah, we've been very lucky in, in most of January. It's been lovely blue skies in, in Essex, you know, really lovely and sunny and dry. But uh, yeah, today was a little bit, a uh, little bit dank. See, we saw the orange disc in the sky today in Devon for once. Oh. Yeah, it was lovely to see. Uh, this afternoon, about three hours of sunshine and uh, it got to 15 degrees today. So it felt very, very spring-like today, definitely. Wow. Well, I have to say, down on the south coast, I'm based in Bournemouth. It's been glorious. Now, I need to tell you, I had to take a friend to the dentist today. So I took 20 minutes to sit in the van, revel in the late winter sunshine. And I have to say, the sun shone with such tangible apricity (laughs) that the pleasant dewy petrichor of recent days became a distant memory. Now, how's that for you? Oh, my goodness, you've done your research, Mike. I'm impressed with that. Hats off to you. Yeah, you could join our podcast (laughs) anytime. (laughs) Now, I've got a word for you. Utony. Ooh. Any ideas? Utony? Spell it. U T E U. Oh, E U. E U T O N Y. Is it? It sounds like it might be an atmospherical type thing, but is it? I don't know. I have no idea. It's the pleasantness of a word's sound. And when you, I heard you talking about apricity, I listen to you on my cycle ride first thing in the morning. I go along for a cycle ride at sort of like silly o'clock in the morning. And I heard the word apricity and I thought, what a lovely word. I'd not heard of it before you'd mentioned it. I just thought, oh, yeah. And then I found utony, which is the pleasantness of a word sound. That's really interesting. Do you know, I have a botanical name of a plant which has exactly that. It's Symbolaria muralis, or the ivy leaf toad flax. And I just love saying it, Symbolaria muralis. It just comes off the tongue beautifully. Yeah. It, yeah, it sort of rolls, yeah. doesn't it? Is yeah. that, would you like me to do an episode on that with you, Saul, so that we can get that mentioned in as many times as possible? <laughs> yeah, let, I tell you what, let's do a whole episode based on on the pleasantness <laughs> of words, botanical names. <laughs> Utony. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> okay, all joking aside then, let's move on. Talking Heads podcast, 120 plus episodes. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. What happened there? <laughs> Whose idea? And Well, first and foremost... How, where and where did your career paths cross? 
I, so do you want to answer? I that? was going to say, yeah, it must have what, seven years, maybe seven years ago. Now is it, Lucy? I can't remember. Yeah, We've lost right. a few that years, haven't right. we? Yeah, we first met at BBC Gardeners World Live, which is a great show. Uh, happens at the Birmingham NEC every every year. You get to see all the celebrities, mm. buy plants, all the plants. But we um, were both. Uh, Signed up by uh, the adorable Bob Sweet, a, a great man, uh, been running shows for years and years, and uh, he wanted us to come and judge uh, the show, um, the floral marquee, as it is. Um, mm-hmm. uh, I think you were doing veg, weren't you, Lucy, for that? I and I was doing yeah. all the exotic tender stuff. And I think because when we got in the room, me and Lucy were probably the youngest people by a good 20 years, we sort of <laughs> gravitated to each other. <laughs> Judges are mostly you know you have to have experience to judge so yeah. there are a, a lot of older judges but i think we just gravitated to each other and uh, we sort of hit it off and the rest is history i think we've been doing loads together since then so yeah we have it's been good yeah, yeah. it's we when we did talk on the because we were at the show we also work on the plant experts the advice desk mm. and that's where we then spent many an hour uh chatting to members of the gardening public who'd come to visit the show but also when there were quiet periods you know maybe the start and right at the end of the day we'd sit there and kind of cogitate over <laughs> what we could do in our <laughs> career paths that uh, and that that was when i think saw you we were always wanted to do something mm. and then you actually saw a podcasting course didn't you which you you undertook well i was Devon. yeah i was fascinated by this podcasting world there's um a guy called uh, Richard who runs the Veg Gardeners podcast, and there's also Lee, who's the Skinny Jean Gardener. He's got a podcast as well. They mm. they both were at the show, and we were just what I was watching the podcast, thinking, do you know, me and Lucy, we already do the radio, but you know, that's obviously for uh, the BBC. Why don't we yeah, go yeah. and do something where we can just talk about what we want, you know, edit it the way we want it? And the mm. podcast course came up, which I sort of went, you know, it's a. In the winter, I do tend to do an evening course when I haven't got as much time. You know, you can't get out and garden. The the weather, the light's not with you. And I did a podcast mm. when I just thought, I'll tell you what, let's just try this. And yeah, like you say, 120 episodes. What, what, what? We've been we've been waffling forever, haven't we, really? I know. I don't know. We never thought we were going to have so many episodes under our belt. No, That's the strange not. thing. I think we it was such an unknown to us, but we knew that we liked talking yeah. to each other. And then... When you find someone who's, you know, our careers in many ways are parallel. Mm. You know, we're both head gardeners. Yeah. We're both on relatively small estates with small teams. And so in that sense, we had a lot in common. But then when you start digging away at that, excuse the pun, that Saul's on heavy clay, I'm on light sand. We've mm. obviously got completely different climates, me being in arid Essex and Saul down in the West Country. So that makes a really lovely point of difference when we're talking about gardening. Mm. So we've both got different experiences that we can bring to the podcast and bounce ideas off each other and you know, essentially at the end of the day there's nothing nicer than talking to a mate about gardening and it's our job it's our life it's our hobby it's yeah. everything so it's you know yeah there's 120 episodes of of just gardening conversation that we've we've probably had many many times at the shows but it's just yeah. nice to get it recorded too and that first podcast, did you have an idea? Or, well, obviously you thought about the structure, what you're going to include, but then going forward, did you think about how it was going to evolve 120 episodes plus later? I was quite happy to get to the fourth episode. We did have a very, <laughs> we had a, we were only going to do it 
uh, once a month. It was very, there was a very particular mm. way we were going to do it, have it very structured, quite mm. a long format as well to start with. Yeah. But um, the pandemic happened and like most of us, we had to adapt to it. Um, me and Lucy realised that we were still going to be working so we could still bring you our tales from our, our gardens. But mm. we also realised there were so many people out there with nothing to do and they wanted to go outside and garden. So we upped the episode counts. We sort of we sort of lowered the amount of time per episode and we just started talking and talking. And I think it's actually evolved naturally in that way rather than us having a plan because like I say I don't think we had much of a plan past episode four really <laughs> <laughs> so you had a you had a longer format which is what I currently have I'm in my I'm just in my second year um but I've now committed like you to go weekly and, right. and it, it is it's a, there's a lot of work involved especially when you say you edit yourselves as well mm. yeah, yeah it's um I, I I think we got into the groove now we were saying that yesterday yeah, weren't we last night yeah mm. Yeah, I think we were because we're always thinking about ways we can sort of change it up a little bit. I think the the latest thought is with that we're going to actually approach it more organically. We we've always thought of a topic and then we mm. try and fit to a topic for about twenty minutes and then ten minutes of us chatting. But we found the audience, uh, and it's great because we're getting lots of feedback now. Well, that's the nicest thing by building an audience. You start getting feedback from you know fellow gardeners and and people who are interested in listening, and they started saying actually we just like you chatting to each other about gardening so I think we're sort of entering our third year and thinking we're just going to switch on the mic have a general idea of where we're going and we're just going to chat to each other about how our gardening weeks have gone having said that though Mike we did actually we did produce an episode that um we really thought we weren't capable of doing which was talking about plant labels <laughs> yes <laughs> we, we pressed record and thought we'll probably just get about 10 minutes from this and we managed to talk for 20 minutes about labeling in the garden so if we can do that i you know what i think it's probably good that we cap it about 20 25 minutes per episode <laughs> <laughs> so how soon ahead of a recording an episode do you actually say let's talk about this this time around we varied it actually because again it's just evolved it's a very this is all new to us you know and i think mm. that we're finding out how each other works and we're finding out about what's successful with the podcast and i think there were times when we come up with a topic literally that evening and talk about it wow. and we've 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 done that we've no that was very successful but now we're getting to the point where as we say we're 120 episodes in and i think it's if we do have a topic that we want to talk about it's quite nice to have maybe at least a day to just kind of ponder mm. ponder it and get your feet in so that we're not repeating we don't want to be repetitive because with the garden calendar there is that danger mm. so we're always trying to bring new things to our audience so yeah as i say it might be you know, the day before, sometimes it. Sometimes, if we're really organised, it is the week before, but that's, to be honest, that's a rarity. <laughs> <laughs> now, you're both particularly busy. You're both head gardeners, of course, in your own, both private estates, aren't they? Yes, mm. yeah. So, Saul, you're down Stonelands in Devon. Yes, that's it, yep. Lucy, you're East Stonelands in Essex. Yes. So how long have you each worked as head gardeners? And was that when you were in your horticultural training, was that what you were aspiring to do, to become a head gardener? Or did you have other ideas? Well, I've been at Stonelands, this is my eighth year now as the head gardener. So that's that's getting my feet under the under the table, as it were. I think I'm starting to learn as much as I can about the property. <laughs> I've I got to say, I think uh, when I started, yeah, I think head gardener was a natural progression i got to say the industry has changed a lot even i'm not that old but i've been in it for 20 years very similar to lucy and time but i think the industry has changed 
definitely in the last 10 years uh, has trained changed a lot that used to be when I started off with the National Trust that's where, where I trained and, and started mm. there was a natural progression you would be an apprentice then you go on to be a gardener eventually you might become an uh, assistant head gardener or a head of section or something like that and then you would make your way up to head gardener I think for decades that had been the progression but now I think the industry is so it's not fragmented in the terms that it's all all over the place but there's so many different opportunities and different things I think there that head gardeners no longer the traditional route that it may have been although having said that some of the younger people I've talked to are definitely wanting to aim to be in charge of their own gardens and their own property. So I think mm. there's still that aim to be a head gardener. But um, it was definitely something I definitely wanted to be when I was uh, was training. And Lucy, what about you? We see I was totally different. And this is, again, where it's mm. lovely that Saul and I have got this podcast together because I, I came from a, a... My family have been smallholders um, all my life and, and for, for, for many, many decades. So I was brought up on a small holding and then I went to Rittle College to, to see if I could carry on that. We were growing loads of veg predominantly in salads. Mm. Um, so I went to Rittle to do an HND in horticulture, uh, commercial horticulture. So it was literally, you know, carrying on the small holding of the family. And then the, that industry got squeezed so much because supermarkets were really, really um, crippling small holders who produced a little bit of lots of different crops. You know, if you didn't have a, um, a you know, an acre of just lettuce or whatever, you, you, you struggled. And so mum and dad sort of had words with me and said, this really might not be the career choice for you. Mm. Although I'd done my studies then and I actually really liked the science. I loved the science of horticulture and I found that all fascinating. So I went on to then rather than go into the family trade to do a, a two year degree in uh, environmental biology, because I liked that side of things. And then I was planning to do a PhD. I really loved the science and I thought, oh, I can be, I can see myself being in a lab, you know, being a scientist, having yeah. pipettes and a white coat and all that kind of stuff <laughs> and a clipboard. And then I actually did quite a lot of that work in my degree. And I thought, do you know what? It's not quite me. I think I really yearned to, A, in, you know, I love the science, but also I, I think I'm quite a hands-on practical girl and I'd got that foundation from my mum and dad of being outside in gardening so um yeah so then my um big horticultural kind of practical training was going then to Wisley for six years in the advisory department and Mm. learning a lot about gardening and what the public needs then that was really useful to me um and then I did the writing you know I went off and and uh, did a lot of work for amateur gardening and then I edited grow your own magazine for six years so that was where I thought my future would be, you know, writing books, doing yeah. writing. And I still do do that. I'm very lucky that I can I can balance both. But that yearn to be a practical horticulturist just never ebbed away. And I really missed it when I had those office-based jobs of writing. I felt at the end I was like a words factory and I so missed outdoor life. Mm. And then it just so happened that a head gardener role evolved. It didn't even come up straight away. It sort of morphed um, from just gardening on the estate to then as the head gardener retired um i stepped in and, and took over and and that that was seven eight years ago goodness me and so likewise it's it's not just the head gardener role you do other things outside of that role as well don't you <laughs> yeah my my <laughs> bow and the strings are yeah lots yeah i i i i, I 
I think the, the one thing, and we've mentioned this many times on the podcast, is head gardeners can get a little stuck in their gardens. You know, mm-hmm. the garden, you, you sort of, you see your garden and you don't actually go and see everything else. And I was very keen early on to get out there and, and experience all other things. So yes, I do a little bit of radio. I do a lot of the, the shows. I do a lot of talks. I must say, I go around, I've already done four this year so and I've got another one next year. So I'm very keen to do that. I'm, I'm very keen on communication, which probably comes across. You know, I like talking <laughs> about these. I love talking about gardening and just just promoting it as much as I can. And I find yeah. the best way to do that is to go to people and say how much you love it and show how brilliant it is and get them enthused. So anything where it involves me doing a bit of promotion and chatting about gardening, I always say yes. <laughs> so you say you've done, you've done four chats so far this year. I mean, we're just yeah. literally at the beginning of February. So that's almost one a week. Yeah, I, I generally, I, I tell you what, when your name gets known in the speaker circuit, mm. you get a lot of it, especially after the pandemics now are sort of uh, not over, but, you know, people are meeting up again. Um, you know, people just want you to go out and talk to them about gardening. I think I went to a group last week. It was 150 people. I've, I've never, the, the, the enthusiasm is out there for people to want to learn more. Mm. So I'm, it's a great time, I think, to be involved in, you know, communicating horticulture, definitely. Very much so. Now, in your podcast, you do talk about being a modern head gardener. And I just wondered, sort of like, over the last 10 years or so how has the job changed for you for you both yeah i think it's just maybe difficult to answer in the sense because we're probably quite new to our roles uh, you know looking back to what other head gardeners may have done i think they might for example we have a wall kitchen garden at donnellan hall um and we have 100 acres and we have a team of only four or five part-time gardeners to manage that mm. so i I from from what I can gather, that's quite a small staff. Mm. You know, kitchen gardens of, of of years gone by would have had maybe twenty staff just in the kitchen garden. You know, so that that definitely has changed. And I think I maybe saw would agree with me. I think some of the working practices have changed, mm. whereas some have stayed. I think when you're a head gardener, you, you very much set your own standards of work mm. and Saul and I by our own admission we're both quite we're both quite harsh on ourselves we really want to do a good job um so that might that that mindset actually might be what head gardeners of of the past had and I think that we have carried that through ourselves but our working practices may have changed you know, we we very often talk about how the winters now are so different to how they used to be there's not really much of a dormant period mm. you know we're very active through the winter so so, yeah, there's similarities and differences. I think, is that right, Saul? Yeah, and I, and I also think, you know, our jobs have gone beyond horticulture in some ways, and we've gone into realms of conservation and, and environmental mm. management and all sorts of uh, different other areas of skills which probably weren't traditionally the head gardener's role. Pro- you know, traditionally the head gardener was all about the very technical side of the garden, you know, mm. make sure everything looks nice and the way... Uh, the property or the owner or, or or the garden wants it to be. But now I think we're very much looking into other realms, especially since, as Lucy has said, tre- teams have shrunk. And it's not just in private horticulture, yeah. also within the public sphere. Teams have shrunk greatly and they have to learn to multi-skill and also engagement with the public and, and being able to uh, use the garden beyond just growing plants has become a big part, event management and all kinds of things like that. So I think... When we say modern head gardener, we're sort of uh, 
with the the Swiss Army knife effect comes in, where you have <laughs> many different caps, not yeah. just the horticultural one. So uh, picking up on a couple of things there, things like organic gardening, sustainability, climate change, biodiversity, how conscious are you both of having to be aware and to implement those things in your in your gardens? I think for me, um, I probably surprised the owners by coming at it from more of a modern angle in that sense. They were, have been used to having someone who was with them for 40 odd years and those methods were definitely not organic mm. I mean I'm not, not knocking them at all but they're they were wanting me to be actively spraying this that and the other and it took me quite a few years to persuade them actually you don't need to do that and I think it was very easy for them to perceive that as wrong um, mm. but in time you can show them that those sorts of methods are effective um, and I do I'm not an organic gardener as such at the hall we do still have to use sprays on occasion but I definitely have reduced that yeah. quite considerably and and again things we both have lovely wildflower meadows at our different estates but mine is managed completely different to Saul's and again I, I actually stepped up and showed the owners how they they wanted the meadow that they were describing that they wanted they weren't managing it in a way to produce that impact they wanted a real high impact pictorial meadow which for me is an annual meadow mm. and they were managing it as a perennial meadow so Things such as that, just tweaking, which we have so much more of an awareness of now, I think. Um, yeah, that was that was nice for them to see the results. Yeah. And, and, and that's what sort of made them realise, oh, she does, you know, she does know what she's doing. So, yeah. And I, and I also think that um, beyond the walls, again, of our gardens, the, the industry is just talking about this stuff all the time. I, yeah. I'm off to a, a Cornish professional gardeners group in two weeks where we are having a, a day of looking at alternatives to traditional practice that are more sustainable, that are more to do with the environment. And I just think this kind of uh, practice is just going to filter its way. You know, we've got the big P argument that's going on in the industry yeah. again, all kinds of things. It's just filtering its way back into the way we practice. So it's definitely the future. And I think as good head gardeners, and Lucy will definitely agree, we've got to keep our uh, heads in this space you know, we've got to learn all these different things. We can't just hide away from it or else we're just mm. going to be left behind. So in terms of the job and how much time can you actually spend gardening? Do you spend any of your time sort of like on the management, health and safety, plant passports, training, development for your gardeners? We're, no, we're incredibly lucky, I think, because mm. private head gardeners is mostly gardening. Um, I gotta yeah. say, I've had my feet in both camps. So I yeah, used yeah. to be in public, National Trust, queue, all kinds of public gardens. And I understand where you're coming from. That is, there's a lot more to the job than just mm. weeding and mowing. The nice, the really nice thing, the reason I'm a private head gardener, I'm sure Lucy will agree, is that we can still actually do that traditional gardening role on top of managing the place as well. It's not to say that I have to spend an hour or two uh, researching plants and, and doing all those kind of things. But like yesterday, uh, weirdly, I was eight hours on a mower. Uh, I know it's the 1st of February, but we're still mowing our lawns. Mm. But it's just lovely to still have a tangible connection to the garden that is beyond just having an oversight. We're actually still involved in it. I'm sure Lucy's the same. Yeah, I love that. I love that about the job. The fact that you're, we are so hands on and you have to apply your skills and your knowledge to so many different areas of the garden. As mm. head gardener, you need to know about the ponds, the tennis courts, the lawns, the herbaceous borders, the, the meadow, meadow management, the, the kitchen garden, the fruit training, 
the rose pruning, the whole lot, you know, and that's what I think is so great about the role of a head gardener is that you get to put into practice all that knowledge that you've accumulated. I say mm. Saul studied at Kew, I've studied at Wisley. And, and you know, you're just, you're just desperate to apply that knowledge. You, you've got an understanding of the science. You think, I know this is going to work. And then after, as I say, sort of five, six, seven years of doing it, you, you get the confidence to think, yeah, that is the technique to, to use. And that just, as Saul says, being in touch with the seasons and the very subtle changes that go on I find that invaluable mm. for, for my writing and for other things I can apply that knowledge to articles and I can say with clarity I have tried this method yeah I have found this that is that is great for me I think that's that's very special yeah, it gives you a real authenticity to what you're doing writing wise yeah I was just going to echo what Lucy's saying especially when we do our radio shows and our advice desks we're actually doing the stuff that we advise and I think mm. that's really important because having a knowledge of what works and what doesn't by doing is yeah. more important than just have reading a book or reading the latest studies. I think it's really important to have that practical edge. So if you found yourselves in a public garden where you do have this admin side of things that took you away, would that not appeal to either of you? Not really. I, I can understand where people are coming from because there mm. is modern um, garden management. You know, I did a big part of my Q course was learning to manage gardens and there was a lot of that and um, you know in, in this day and age we are we're bombarded by paperwork and admin and and red tape but I've got to say that's really is the reason I got out of it and got into mm. the private end because you know at the end of the day I just love plants gardening and actually being outside so um, yeah I think it did put me off a lot <laughs> yeah I wouldn't mind so much that I've, I've you know carried out things I thought things like appraisals and building staff up and that kind of thing I actually find really rewarding and for me with our small team at East Sutherland we don't get to do that so much we can get to you know show people and, and do little quick master classes on how to prune this that and the other but I, I quite like that aspect of things and I do like part of sorry I, I like being part of a bigger team mm. um, it can be quite a solitary job mm. and I think if I just had that for myself I might be yearning other things but I mean I am very lucky in that you know we can do things such as the podcast and such as you know going to press events things that's that's what where my community is so yeah. I, I feel like I sort of you know scratch that itch in that department but um yeah I don't think I'd say no uh to doing all the a bit of admin again I I, I don't mind the odd list and things like that <laughs> <laughs> so in terms of your respective garden owners how much input do they have do they pass completely over to you you've touched on this earlier yeah so yeah um my owners are not gardeners which is another great thing because i am i am their knowledge base yeah yeah so um Another nice thing about, and I will say, if anyone's thinking of going into private gardening, there is very different uh, estates and management mm. techniques and owners. So it's not what I'm saying isn't the one fits all with private gardening. But for me, the owners take what I have to say on the face of it. And in general, I treat the garden as if it's my own. Now, that doesn't mean I just go off and do it. If, if it were truly my own, we'd have bananas everywhere. There'd be an odd, <laughs> odd gingers here and there. So I have to respect their wishes to have a, a traditional English country garden and work within the design framework. Yeah. But in essence, as they're not knowledgeable gardeners, I do have 
uh, a fair amount of free reign. Um, I think it's slightly different for Lucy, though, probably. Well, this is, again, the lovely contrast mm. between us because, all, um, you know, we, we do talk to each other about the families and the estates and the, the pluses and, and, and minuses of, of the different setups because my, my family, they've, I said, they've been on the estate for well over 50 years um, and they're keen gardeners. And they have their ideas. Yeah. And so for me, everything I do needs to be passed by the owners and or the owner's children now a little bit more as well. Mm. Um, and it's, there are times when you might think that could be frustrating. Mm. But what you what you can do and it's this is what I love again about being on a small, you know, a private estate with a, a small group of people. You get to know the family. You know, you do yeah. get to know them quite well. And you know, they've got a housekeeper. They've got um, people that look after various elements of the estate. And pre-COVID, we haven't done it sadly since COVID, but we'd all go into the kitchen of the hall, sit there with the owners, have a, a tea break. But it was a working tea break. We'd all sit there with our coffee and talk about what was going on in the garden, what the owners wanted, what we could do for them. Um, I really enjoyed that interaction. Mm. That was very lovely. And I think that's quite special because... If you're part of that setup for you know two, three, four years, you you, you build up a real friendship, which is lovely. So Saul, I think sometimes you know you, you're the the great thing for you is that you can go off and you can buy what you like mm. in in essence because you know within the parameters yeah. that you've got for your budgets and and that kind of thing and mm. styling. But you can you can go out and get stuff. And sometimes you'd come back to me and say. Oh, I wish the owners were maybe more you know, excited about what I'm buying, for yeah. example, because they haven't got that horticultural perception of the kind of stuff that you're planting. It's all great things at Stonelands, and I, you know, it's so exciting. And so I can get you excited about it. But then I have the side where the owners want their input, and so I have, I, I in a way, I sometimes think oh, I'm having my wings clipped. But yeah. you, if you feel like that, you won't stay in the job for very long. So you have to flip it on its head and think, right, okay, within this, I want to try and produce for them exactly what they're after but can i sneak in the odd this and that you know without them realizing and or try and persuade them that it's something that they actually really do enjoy and expose them to stuff that's new so i think if you can if you've got a flexible mindset then you can turn anything into being in a nice experience and how how successful are you in able to slip things in or introduce things is that something that works quite well or is it a bit of a battle sometimes I've got one or two things in their mind that are quite nice that no one's noticed about yet. <laughs> yeah, no, it's it's no, it, I've got a few mini victories, uh, just enough to keep me satisfied. Um, and yeah, so I it does it does it does work. Yeah. Uh, I've introduced the, the family to some vegetables that they never tried before, which is great. You know, so I love mm. my veggies. Um, and the few planting ideas sometimes they can be a little bit more slow to come to fruition. Uh, the meadow for me is one of my real successes because. As I say, I spoke to the owners and they wanted something very floriferous and, and high colour mm. and they weren't getting it with a perennial meadow. It's a totally different beast. And so for them to see the transformation and and see the poppies and the corn marigolds and the corn cockles and the corn flowers, they loved it. And and that was so that was great. And and we, we do manage that now every year. I, I think occasionally taking your owners out of their comfort zone is a good thing, though. I yeah. think occasionally just showing them something different can be quite good for them to see uh, the meadow is mm. a great example because my owners were keen mowed lawns and stripes and then i introduced some meadows and now five years later they rave about them all the time so i do i do think you have to you have to be careful but challenging your owner's perceptions or, or 
even if it's all the public's perceptions or whatever the mm. raison d'etre for your garden can be quite important and also important for you as a head gardener you want to progress in your knowledge you can't yeah. do that unless you push the boundaries slightly Having said that, I made a complete mess up when I um, planted some butternut squash plants in the hall's kitchen garden because I got a gap and I'm not very good with gaps. I like to fill them up with things. <laughs> and so I popped some in, not realising that the owner absolutely despised with a passion butternut squash. <laughs> 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 and I persisted with it for as long as I thought was viable. And then I, I realised, you know what, that was a, that was a one-off event. I won't be revisiting butternut squash <laughs> in the kitchen gardens at Dollar Hall. <laughs> So, Saul, you mentioned you have a love of tropics. You mentioned the bananas, the gingers. Mm. Have you been able to incorporate those within Stonelands? And what has the response been or anything else? Do you know, they haven't noticed yet. So that's one, <laughs> that's a good thing. Um, I'm slowly creeping in a few things that um, uh, I've got some gingers, but I'm generally putting them in pots at the moment so that they don't, you know, you can whip them away if they do offend but i have <laughs> I, I have planted some echiums in the borders and okay. let them flower uh, and they are very and they're, they're things that the owners would have, have never seen before um, yeah so uh, i think i got a very positive response uh, they thought they looked very alien but you know as again like i was saying just pushing the boundary slightly every yeah. time uh, and introducing maybe one or two elements is something that I think is a very good thing. And it's good for gardens. It evo- gardens need to evolve. Mm. I'm, I'm not going to have a, a rant about the National Trust, but I, I will anyway. But uh, <laughs> when I was with the National Trust, it was everything was very constrained. It had to stay the same. And I understand mm. they've got historical values to, to keep up. But I do think gardens are revolving spaces. They do do change maybe subtly some change very drastically Mm. but they do need to change and that sort of uh brings in the interest so i like to introduce something every year whether it's a new veg whether it's a new plant just to show them and just test the boundaries slightly and just keep my interest going as well so which echium did you introduce just out of interest? Oh, it's just Pinanad. So the the large the, the tall giant, towering yeah, ones. the giant giant viper burglos. I do have other um uh, species and varieties at home uh, that may creep in slowly. We'll see. I'll say next year. Yeah, we'll see how they do. <laughs> slowly turn the garden. It's 16 acres, so they can have an acre of exoticness. You know, I can't, I can't see why that would be a problem. <laughs> so, Lucy, I know you're into your grow your own, but what other plant passions do you have? Oh, goodness. Um, I do love, I love spring flowering plants and actually winter flowering plants. I'm, uh, Saul knows at the bottom of my garden, We've got a large grass area, but just before then, between the vegetable garden and the grass area, I'm wanting to develop a winter garden. Mm. And I just think they're very special and uplifting at a time when it can be a little bit gloomy. It can be a little bit flat. But uh, if you go and put your nose into a a witch hazel or a shimonanthus Mm. or even something like a sarcococca, which Mm. is so surprising when you first come across it because they're so diminutive and you don't even see the flowers. That that I find... um, I find really special. I've got some winter aconites flowering now and some cyclum and cooing just coming through. And those sorts of plants, to me, they're so emotive and they really lift your spirits. And I think that that's a a lovely thing to have in any garden. So talking about your own gardens, as we've just touched on, Saul, what's your own garden like? It is exotic. It's full of It is exotic. But I I never describe mine as a garden. Lucy knows this. I'm an avid plant collector. I think that Mm. goes back to my days at Kew and being with botanical collections all the time. So it's a garden with about 350 different plants, uh, all in 
mostly all in pots. I'm starting to plant things out. I'm starting to get the uh, the bravery to put things actually permanently into the garden. But yes, gingers, brugmansias, bananas, uh, all kinds of big-leaved and exotic things. I'm very lucky. Uh, I'm just on the outskirts of Plymouth towards the coast, yeah. so we rarely get a frost. Yeah. Uh, probably very similar to Bournemouth in some ways. Pretty much so. And like you, I've sort of got into my exotics. I like the ricinus, the yeah. bananas, the gingers. Mm. Um, yeah, but as you say, we're very lucky with our climates. So... How much time do each of you have to spend <laughs> in your own gardens? You know, you're, you're busy head gardeners, you have the podcast, you have your writing, your teaching. How do you fit your own gardens in? Yeah, it can be tricky, can't very, it? Yeah. I think, um, in the summer, I find it a lot easier mm. because of obviously the, the longer days. You can come back from work at 4, 4.35 p.m., whenever it might be, mm. and then you can have a good couple of hours in the garden which is great. And if you're really enthusiastic, you can do so in the beginning of the day as well. You can squeeze in a few hours before work. Um, so the summer is not so difficult to manage. Uh, yeah, and, but I, I do find that I, I, I need to make a conscious decision to put my garden first sometimes, which can be really difficult to do when you've got deadlines or other work commitments and mm. things to do. But knowing what joy my garden can give me and also what feelings you can get when you're not on top of your game and you feel like things are running away from you. I, I now have made a really conscious decision to think, right, uh, if, if things are running away, I'm going to stop what I'm doing. I'm going to get into that garden. I'm going to put it right as mm. best as I absolutely can because it, at the end of the day, it, it makes you happy. So mm. I long for retirement. I can't wait to spend <laughs> more time in my garden. I've just literally turned the corner of 40 and I'm just my head is starting to go to... How long have I got left to plant the trees that I love and things for me yeah. and enjoy them in my lifetime? So at the moment, my head is thinking towards uh, how, how much less time can I work professionally and how much more time can I work personally? Uh, I, I long for those days. I long for those days. So in terms of, again, sort of like your own gardens, are you in gardens that you intend to stay in so you can develop those sort of like for, for the, this retirement thing? probably not i don't i think the thing is um i just haven't got enough i've got enough land <laughs> it's it's a massive problem um i've got uh, good friends called Stephen edney and lou dow down in uh, kent uh they're head gardeners um and they've just bought themselves an acre of land just for this because they haven't got enough room in their back garden to do exactly what they want and mm -hmm. what they're doing with this acre of land is just wonderful big long mm. borders jungle gardens and it's just making me completely envious to have to do that because you know we we all know land prices and house prices in this country are just not uh, are ridiculous mm. uh, what and again i'm not gonna go on a rant but i always find it hilarious that the people that own the big gardens with the most potential don't want to garden them so much yet yeah. the us gardeners who really want to do something with land don't have enough money to buy these things so it's a uh, it's it, it is um yeah it is frustrating but i do the best with what i can and hopefully one day i'll have a have a bigger space it does look lovely as well, your Thank garden. You. You are gradually, your passion for exotics is gradually getting into my veins as well. <laughs> Every now and then when, when we saw and I do meet up, uh, he'll come in the back of his car with loads of Datura, Brugmansia, uh, all sorts of delightful things. And, so, and I, I must admit, last year I, I grew a lot of uh, what I would call exotics from seeds. So things like amaranth and ricin, um, coleus. So things that maybe not 
with a classic yeah. uh, exotic plants, but things that you can, I find it fascinating how quickly these plants can grow. If they mm. get, get the moisture and the heat on them. And I've got lots of cannas and muses and things that I supplement my displays with. And I, I definitely can see the appeal of exotics. I have got the bug. There's no doubt about that. But for me, my, my garden is all all about edibles. Yeah. Um, it's, it's naturally divided into four, soon to be five different zones. We've got the front garden. Then we've got a lovely apple tree in the mid garden, which is more herbaceous perennials. And then I go into the fruit and veg garden that we've created since we've been at the house, which was in 2014. And then, as I say, after that will be a winter garden and then turf at the bottom of the, the garden for, for just sort of getting out and getting the tent up and getting the barbecue, that kind of thing. Mm. But I've been really lucky in that that's that's 240 foot from, from the road to the bottom of the garden. Wow. That's a nice space. And it's also about 40 foot wide. So it's for, for my husband and I, we feel like we're going to be in this house for a while. Mm. And it's allowed us to do such things as we've, we've uh, designed and uh, had built a greenhouse you know that that to me is a very special place to be and and I wouldn't have done that had I thought I'd only be there for a, a year or so or being renting uh that that's you know I know it's a very it feels very privileged to to, to think we've actually got that space yeah. now um so yeah most of it's there's lots of edibles in there I'd, I'd love more space uh, we've got an allotment that we're going to have again next year I'm shoehorning so many things wall training stuff all the fruits really shoehorned into the mm. garden that we've got um i think you always want more space don't you when you're a gardener yeah yeah i think so and i think the other nice thing about talking to other gardeners whether it's sort of like face to face or seeing them on social media or listening to a podcast is you hear plants you hear about plants you see plants um i've got into the exotics through a friend who's sort of like we go to the nursery he's picking up these massive great big cannas and bananas and it's like, oh, gosh, yeah, I, I've got to have a go. And then you find yourself buying another one or something else. So that's the lovely thing about all of this. What about the future? Sort of like, do you have any aspirations for plans in the next five years? Is there anything on a sort of like a professional bucket list you'd like to tick? Oh, I don't know. I don't... Hmm. Shall I join me to chip yeah, in? Yeah, go on, go on. I think for me, I would love to... I would love to do another book. I, I was so lucky that um, when I was working at Wisley, a lot of the advisory team were asked to contribute to books that were being put together. And so I wrote a few chapters of one title and I got asked to write half a book of another title. And then I I can't think how it came about, but I, I actually wrote a whole book, um, the step-by-step -step veg patch, which is, you know, is, mm. uh, again, a very... A subject close to my heart and I was so overjoyed to be holding a book that I'd written it blew my mind mm, <laughs> in a way mm. and I've, I've got I've got you have always have loads of ideas for books but I've got one that I think is really really you know could have some legs to it so I think that would be nice I need to make sure that I've got enough time to devote to it to do it really yeah. well um but yeah that would be a lovely thing to do I think mine's so, yeah purely uh Practical. I've been gardening 20 years now and the body is just starting to <laughs> creak in some areas. Oh, and, yes. so, and, I, I and I just know I can't keep up the level of gardening that I have been doing for yeah. that 20, of year, 20 years. I begin to find that lifting a bag of compost is not quite as easy as it used mm. to be. So I think the thing I just want to continue with what I'm sort of doing at the moment, which is this communication side and and, uh, and talking to people just visiting I, I love going to new places and absorbing ideas and just 
and traveling hopefully we'll get back to being able to travel the world sufficiently enough again that would be yeah. that'd be great to go and see uh some gardens that i haven't been to and i i just think my ambition is just to keep keep soaking all that information in uh and yeah and applying it to the gardening i'm doing um we're so we are very lucky in this country i think and that's one of the things that brought to me the pandemic is that we got such a massive range of horticulture in this country there is a lot to fulfill that need in this country mm. um so yeah just visiting new places and, and meeting new people yeah because you have traveled quite a bit haven't you to see plants in their natural environments yeah i've been to australia uh, and uh, lots of the mediterranean i'm a, a big fan of the sort of um what we call the mediterranean style zones so you've got the med and then south africa Australia, California. Mm. I'm a big fan of that flora. So lots of places I want. But to be honest, I'm just a, I'm just a big sponge, horticultural sponge. I want to learn <laughs> as as much as I can from anyone that uh, wants to talk to me. It's just, <laughs> it, it's a fabulous. We're in a very fabulous industry in that I never, even when I get seventy, eighty, I probably will have only still have learnt thirty percent of what this yeah. this has to offer. I'm very lucky in that way. And I think keeping open minded is a good idea mm. as well because. You know, my just my my career path was not straightforward. I didn't have a, a set idea. It did twist and turn, um, and actually, there's things that I would love to do now that I never envisaged me doing. Say, even ten, fifteen years ago, I'd love to open my garden. Ultimately, I'm mm. gradually developing it and building it. And I, I, at some point, I'm going to get to the point where I have the confidence to think I'd like to open this. And I never would have thought about doing that, as I say, you know, a decade or so ago. And so I think that's the thing, isn't it? To say, just keep absorbing the knowledge that this wonderful hobby brings us and career brings us and keep an open mind. We're both doing quite a lot of shows work and radio work, which again, we probably never thought we were going to be yeah. doing. Yeah. Um, <laughs> just say yes to stuff. I think that's the thing, yeah. isn't it? That's quite surprising, Lucy. You say have the confidence to open your own garden. You know, as a head gardener, I, I'm for you to say that that's a shock for me do, do you know we are we are our own worst enemies yeah. oh this yeah. is why we do things together in some ways because we're much better at um sort of being agents for each other than we are for ourselves <laughs> you know lucy's much better at promoting me i'm much better at promoting lucy it, it works in that way we're we're, we're terrible well it's been a pleasure to join you both this evening and talk about gardening it really has to have a good old waffle about gardening um, <laughs> thank you both for taking time out of your busy schedule to join me this evening it's been say it's been wonderful thank you both that's been lovely well, thank you for asking us it's been really nice yeah well my thanks to lucy and saul for coming along and having a chat with me this evening i thoroughly enjoyed chatting to them about their podcast their careers and their aspirations for the future so if you don't already listen to the Talking Heads podcast, do pop over there and subscribe and have a listen. You won't be disappointed, I can assure you. And talking of subscribing, if you haven't already subscribed to the Mike the Gardener podcast, do pop over and subscribe and follow and tell all your friends about it, as I'll be back next week with some more great gardening content. So enjoy your gardens, everybody, and I'll see you next week. Bye-bye for now. Bye-bye.